sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to a brand spanking new episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. <laughs> All right, I'm Nate Larkin here with my pal Aaron Porter. Uh, boy, I, 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 it's been a good day for me. It's been an up day. It really has. The sun came out. We, we, uh, here in Florida, you know, we, we endured frigid temperatures. It went below freezing over the weekend and it was cold and I had to wear a coat and all that kind of stuff. And today it hit, it crossed 70 degrees. My wife went to her first follow-up, actually her only follow-up uh, appointment, the doctor after her surgery. Everything is fantastic. She's cleared to uh, resume a normal diet. Uh, still has some healing to do, but uh, she's on the road to recovery. That feels so, great. So she can eat. She can't boogie board yet at the beach, but she can uh, She can eat. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. Good. That's right. Uh, and I'm coming off a wonderful weekend in Jupiter, Florida, uh, at the Sanctuary Church, the church planted and pastured by Tully and Tavidjian. Got to meet a bunch of his guys uh, it was a hastily organized weekend. We only uh, set it up about four or five weeks ago. They were hoping for 50 guys, and we had 150 guys pack the place out, and uh, it, it was wonderful. Really broke some barriers. So I'm just kind of today. I'm yeah, good day. They they are they aren't always like this, but. Uh, yeah. so, uh, so, uh, give me kind of an emotional check-in for you, Aaron. Uh, <laughs> well, we discussed this a little earlier. Um, uh-huh. I, I have been chatting with someone during this season in my life where I've got some ups and downs and still dealing with some, some grieving and some hurting. And I have now realized this is the beauty of a daily check-in that mm-hmm. every Frickin' Monday, I feel horrible emotionally. Yeah, yeah. For for no great reason. I think it really starts Sunday nights. I end up nights are the worst for me. If I wake up yeah. and start thinking about things like that's that's yeah. probably my hardest time during the day. Yeah. I can usually push through, reframe stuff, all that. But yeah, uh, yeah Mondays have consistently been awful. And it yeah, just gets worse yeah. throughout the day, just in time for me to do the Pirate Monk podcast with you. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so yeah, it's it has been interesting uh, seeing that. I'm not sure what I'm going to do about it yet, as I have mm-hmm. just now seen this incredible consistency. Um, so yeah, it's it's been hard, but I also am have been trying to put different habits back in my life. Um, yeah. It's not good weather for walking, and I have too much work at the computer to do. So yeah, yeah. I got myself a stationary bike with a desk uh, that I can work at. Okay. And then uh, tell me, uh, you mentioned this when we talked the other day. You can actually now, uh, you can bike almost anywhere in the country. How, how do you do oh, this? Oh, now, that, now that's funny. Uh, it's fun. So I, I, I find that working while riding I just don't even think about the writing. So it's, mm-hmm. it's easy to do like 14 or 15 miles in a day, uh-huh. uh, watching a show or something. Uh, not great. 
I, right. I, after 15 minutes, I'm like, this is stupid. A, I don't want to be watching this. And B, I don't want to be riding a stupid bike and going nowhere. Mm-hmm. But uh, I had bought an Oculus virtual reality thing last year when I thought I was going to be in a small apartment so that I could work with big monitors within a virtual world. Because I was going to be... Man, a- you are already moving into the virtual world. I mean, I'm hearing all about this. Right, There are real estate auctions right now in the in the metaverse. Yeah, that's Okay, weird. but yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, last year I was definitely thinking of all the amazing things that come with it, but also yeah. how you're spending so much time like, okay, got a crappy apartment, but I get to feel like I'm in a forest working. That's amazing. And my yeah. brain would buy it. But I got a trial <clears throat> on a program. I don't remember what it's called, but it uses Google Maps. Mm-hmm. So they already have set bike rides or jogging. You have to move your yeah. arms. So I'm trying to figure out how to strap my There's controls. There's one where you have... You will go if you move your arms? Well, that's how that's how it works. So I, I'm okay. trying to figure out how to strap my controllers to my legs so I can not have to, uh, like, jiggle my uh, arms okay. while I'm riding. Okay. Um, but okay. if you have a fancy bike, it'll plug into it. But anyways, it uses Google Maps, and I can put in, like, old places I've lived, and you just uh-huh. set set a path, and you're going through Google Maps in three dimension. Not the most smooth thing, but I can stop my hands at any point and still pedal. Uh-huh push a button and it'll be like a high def of wherever I stopped. So really, so yesterday I was cruising around Tahoe city going towards sugar pine point on the North shore of Lake Tahoe. And man, I've spent so many years camping there. I knew every building and it just felt so nice to go visit there. Oh, wow. And, and it's like, I'm in, I'm in first person. So I'm sitting on this cart and you're actually seeing the wheels turning. Like it's bizarre. I mean, you take turns. I've almost fallen off the bike a couple of times because my whole body leans <laughs> into the turn. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to be one of those stupid videos of people running through their window. Um, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But yeah, that, uh, that has been soul refreshing. I mean, huh. it gives me enough of being out in nature. I've got some music playing. I'm hearing nature sounds and wow. uh, so, yeah, we'll see. You can ask me in a, this is, this is week three of biking mm-hmm. six days a week. I figure I won't feel anything but annoyed with it for at least another three weeks. Usually it's like uh-huh. the six week mark feels like the first hump for something like this. Sure. 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 So, wow. Wow. Well, it sounds like a classic January reset, but you have taken it to the next level. Uh, I, uh, Now, I'm really intrigued. There's a part of me that uh, is scared by the Oculus. Uh, 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 You know, I'm so committed to living life, real life on life's terms that I'm frightened by virtual reality. Kind of the same reluctance that I, yeah, that same wall that I didn't want to go through when we started online meetings. Because I thought there's no way that an online meeting can work, right? Yeah. and we talked about, I found myself talking about this the other day with somebody, you know, I was sure that, okay, we'll connect guys in online meetings, but they're never going to get as close as the guys who are in local meetings. Mm-hmm. As it turns out, I would say that if we look, if we just step back and look as a group, guys in local meetings and guys in online meetings, I've got to say from what I'm seeing, the guys in the online meetings are closer well, yeah, because they don't have the meeting after the meeting, which matters. Yeah. That's that's yeah. important. 
But they end up, at least the guys I talk to, they put more effort into the relationships than any yeah. guys I've ever seen in yeah. in-person meetings. They're, they stay in touch. They talk on Slack. They're just connected yeah. throughout the week at a whole other level. And I think it's because they have to, to achieve yeah. that community. And then they make their time to get together, whether it's at the annual retreat or other times. I also wonder whether uh, the digital distance between participants in those meetings gives an added kind of a, a layer of safety that makes it easier to get more honest more quickly, go deeper, faster. I, I think that is is very possible. I mean, I, I did a beta of this so many years ago when, when you hooked me up with my Silas that I didn't get to meet in person and knew nothing about Ken Chester. Right, right, right. Right, and then right, right. that first weekend when I got to meet him, like a year, year and a half into it. And yeah, that's what I think of every time I see these guys like meet in person after talking for nine months. It's just yeah, so yeah. cool and so bizarre. That was such yeah. a weird weekend hanging out at that cabin with him and you. <laughs> yeah. That was. Well, hey, we've got a guest this week who is doing some uh, innovative, remarkable things. It's cool because, like me, he's an old guy. He's an old school guy, but uh, as taking advantage of modern technology uh, <laughs> to help the church move backward to where it should be, uh, mm-hmm. back to that safe place of community uh, that that uh, is described in the New Testament. Well, let's get rid- yeah, let's get James on here. Yeah, all right. We'll do that. Stay with us. We'll be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, our guest this week is a guy, I don't know that he remembers me, but I remember him. We bumped into each other at some kind of an event for recovery leaders in Denver, I want to say, a few years ago, or Colorado Springs. Colorado Springs, uh, I believe it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, James, Reeve, uh, James Reeves, pastor, founding pastor of City on a Hill uh, a, a, a distinct and unique church down in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Jo- uh, thanks for joining us, James. I appreciate it much. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we were introduced, uh, reintroduced by our mutual friend, Sam Black. He's a good friend of the Samson Society, uh, a member and uh, an active guy. Um, and he sent along to me, a wonderful video for uh, the Fearless series for women. Uh, that uh, so anyway, that really piqued my interest, and uh, I knew that uh, I wanted to get you on as a guest. But uh, before we go there, mm-hmm. I wonder if we could back up a little bit. You could tell us a little about yourself and about City on a Hill. Okay, uh, I grew up out in West Texas, and uh, my dad was a town drunk, and I was a street kid, a teenager of the late 60s, early 70s, and did all the normal things. And in somewhat of a Damascus experience, I came to know Christ when I was 18, went mm-hmm. off to college. Uh, I went to Baylor, majored in ancient Greek, 
And uh, then I got my MDiv and doctorate from Southwestern Seminary here in Fort Worth and went to my first pastorate in 1981 in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, because my wife. And Did I thought, you? Yeah, my wife and I thought that'd be a great experience to be right there in Fort Lauderdale. And, and it it was great for about six months as far as the uh, the church was great. But boy, living mm-hmm. in that place was a little more difficult than uh, than you would think when you go visit and just play on the beach for two or three days. But mm-hmm. we had a great ministry there for three years and really thought we'd be there for the long term. And then wound up 1984, coming back to Fort Worth and founding uh, uh, what is now called City on a Hill uh, Church in Fort Worth. We've changed the name several times to protect ourselves. Uh, mm-hmm. and the, <laughs> the newest rendition for about the last 15 years is City on a Hill. And okay. uh we transitioned in 1992 into what we call a hospital style of church ministry. So we've been doing that about 30 years. Wow. So, so define wow. define this hospital style church ministry. Okay. Well, it, it really kind of grew out of some brokenness in my own life from my childhood that I never really addressed and didn't know I needed to until about my mid-30s. And, and when the bills began to come due emotionally in me and depression and some other things, it forced me to begin to look inside and find what that was all about. And uh, the result of that was uh, we transitioned the church into a place where people could, uh, a safe place where people can tell their secrets. That's kind of what we say about it. The church has to be a safe place for people Mm. to tell their secrets and have a safe process to help them grow in emotional, spiritual maturity in Christ. And the way we explain that is if the church is not a safe place, then people are not going to tell their secrets. And so it's just going to stay inside and it's going to Eventually, it's going to, you know, come out in destructive behaviors and divorce and those kinds of things. So you have to create an environment where people feel that it is safe to talk about what's really going on. But then you have to have a process to how to move them past that. And uh, we use uh, what we call freedom groups. There could be called the old support group type, Mm -hmm. you know, 12 to 13 or 10 to 12 people with a facilitator using biblically based uh, material to help them walk through the process. We offer about 30 different types of those groups now. After 30 years, uh, uh, survivors of sexual abuse, uh, post-abortion uh, uh, recovery, uh, addictions, um, forgiveness, codependency, you know, all kinds of things uh, that we have just kind of developed into this culture. And it is a culture. It's not a program. It is a really a cultural shift of what the church really is even meant to be. So is, is that the main way? Because uh, obviously that's one tool that if people realize, okay, this is a core piece of the church is having these mm-hmm. smaller spaces. But, you know, saying, okay, I want to make a church where people are open and honest and feel safe sounds mm-hmm. amazing. And uh-huh. I've seen almost no one pull that off because <laughs> yeah. there are too yeah. many trappings of the facade that everybody's like, okay, be yeah. honest, but still look like this in the end. Right, so how right. did you cultivate that in in the long the well, long run? It, it, obviously it didn't happen overnight because again uh, creating a safe place like that that where it really is a safe place uh, is a long-term process. It's like turning the Titanic. And uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't and it's not a program. It is a cultural shift and it has to begin from the top. And so it began with me with me from the uh, from the podium beginning to talk about my own pain from childhood. Uh, mm-hmm. My father was 41 years old when he died, and he was the, the town wino, literally the town wino. Mm-hmm. And we were poor white trash that lived on a dirt road on the, across the street from the cemetery. And, and, and I didn't 
you know, when I came to Christ, my life changed, but I didn't know that I had all this stuff that was still in there and it, mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. it began to come out. So as I began to talk about that, people would say, James, thank you so much for being honest. And they would tell me this. And so we just started looking for, okay, well, what do we do with this? And, and so we began to look for material that would address those particular issues. And mm-hmm. uh, I understand addiction. I grew up in an addictive home and I was working to become an addict. So, you know, all that, we just started with one group, uh, a support group. I guess we called mm-hmm. them support groups at that time. And we didn't know what we were doing because nobody was doing this. Celebrate Recovery wasn't even in existence then. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a big difference in what we do and what CR does anyway. But we set out to create a safe church, not just pockets of safety within the church. And the only way you yeah. do that is when that is enculturated from the top down. Yeah. So everyone, staff, elders, everyone is involved in the work of looking inside to ask the question and discover what are the wounds in me that are having a negative impact in my my life, my relationships, my walk with Christ, my marriage, all those things. So some people, it's very obvious on the surface if it's a heavy addiction, but others, it, it may just be control. It may be seeds of anger. It may be unforgiveness. And, and so we say we're all in the same process just for different reasons. So how, so, how did mm-hmm. you lay a, a groundwork? Because most, uh, many, I won't say most, Many versions of the gospel is that stuff is supposed to be taken care of at 18 when you get saved, when you have your come to Jesus moment, you're supposed to have healing. So what are you doing? Some kind of church? It's like Jesus plus like recovery work where Jesus isn't enough. No. So how would you explain that to a person where you're like, no, no, the gospel is still intact. And yeah. yeah. So how do you describe it? The way I say it is we are literally practicing the one another's of the New Testament the 27 one another's they're there for a reason. Uh, and if everything was made peachy keen in our life, when we come to Jesus, then we wouldn't have to exhort one another. We wouldn't have to bear one another's burdens. We wouldn't have to encourage one another. We wouldn't have to love one another. We wouldn't have to pray for one, you know, all of those kinds of things. So the reality is that we're involved in a spiritual war. It's a war of the lies of the enemy and the, and the truth of God. And, and uh, the enemy wants to destroy us. And so, this whole sanctification process. And when I teach on this, I talk about it as part of the sanctification process, actually, because I do it like a three-legged stool. So sanctification involves three things. The head, there are things God wants us to know. John 17, 17, Father, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. So there's the word. Okay. So we have to take in the truth of God. Then there's the hands and that involves doing, serving, That's part of the sanctification process. We're to be the hands and feet of Jesus, not just taking in. But the third leg is where the church typically fails to even address, and that's the heart. Um, And and I think we've taken the heart for granted. We think that if we just get enough scripture in people's heads, if we get them their hands and feet bloody enough, then the heart's going to take care of itself. And that's never taught in scripture. Hmm. The heart is never changed by knowledge. It's never changed by serving. It's changed by addressing the sin and the brokenness that's there. And when, when we talk about the heart, we're talking about the wounded heart, the, mm-hmm. the wounds that we pick up in life. We live in a, we're all wounded by the fall. We're all wounded by sin we've committed. We're all wounded by sins that others have committed against us. And so if we don't address those wounds, then we've only got two legs of the sanctification stool on, on, the, on, on the ground. 
And uh, so it's in that one another process where we're safe with one another and we, we, we love one another, we bear one another's burdens, we carry one another, that we are able to begin to look at, well, why am I so controlling? Where is that? Where did that begin? Where's the root of that? What is the wound? Uh, what is our, for women who are survivors of sexual abuse, which is the fearless series we're going to talk about? Well, how has that caused debilitating behaviors in my life, in my marriage? Mm. And going back there and addressing that and digging that thing out by its roots and, and, and getting that out of the way so that the sanctification process can, can be complete. You know, in American Christianity, we've become a downloading uh, culture. Our Christian culture yeah. is one of download. Let's just download everything, download information, you know, and and that's good. We need to download, obviously, the information of God's word. But there's also that process of the spiritual war that we're fighting for the for the mind. And, and you know, what I find and found in myself and finding Christians for the last 30 years is out of our woundedness, we begin to develop lies that we live by in order to survive. Mm-hmm. And those lies are the very thing that cause us to be held captive to the wounds and the debilitating behaviors and attitudes that come out of it. So after we discover, well, this is where this was planted in me, then we have to go back and we begin to do this process of saying, okay, well, well, what lies have you begun to live by that in order to try to survive that now you need to get rid of mm-hmm. and replace with the truth of God? which is the transformation of the mind, taking mm-hmm. every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So that's, that's, a, that's, I love it. that's what we do. I, lo- I, we, love, I love, too, that by having the one another's as, as this foundational thing, you're never simply trying to get to the place where you're done with your crap, because never, even, never even when you see forward movement, it's still about how you're giving back to other people in that process yes. of right. sanctification. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. And, and we tell people when they come into our church, really on their last leg, and the, quite often they do, from alcoholism or drugs or sexual behavior that's destructive or whatever it is, uh, we tell them that one day this malady that you has been the, the, the thing that you believe is going to end your life is going to become your ministry. So you have to turn your malady into your ministry. So in our church, if, if someone's malady is alcoholism and they come to us and and they begin to walk without alcohol, but then they also begin to deal with the issues that drove them in the first place. Then we say, now you got to give that away. And who's you going to give that to the next alcoholic that comes in our door that needs help Mm -hmm. because that's your ministry. Now women who are survivors of sex abuse, you walk through the healing process, your ministry becomes to other women who are survivors. And so you really develop people that are passionate about being in ministry. And that really is the key to body life getting the whole body doing ministry, not just the paid staff. You give them something they've got street creds in, they've got experience, and they've got hope because they've walked beyond it, and then they start giving it away. So we kind of, in the hospital, we have a full-service hospital, has an emergency room, has a cardiac unit, it has an oncology unit. So someone comes in, not everybody needs an emergency room, but they need oncology. That may be the alcoholism. Over here, they need cardiac. That may be the the uh, trauma of abuse. And we've got people mm-hmm. that are staffing those areas of the hospital. Um, I love to say to people, you can't bring somebody to my church that we don't have a ministry for. And that's not because of me. It's just 30 years of God's people actually turning their maladies into ministry. 
Well, that makes it easier for you as a pastor because you actually oh. get to equip the saints for the works yeah, of ministry, and you don't have to make it all. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it seems like it's uh, in there somewhere. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of biblical. And, you know, we, we, we tell people, oh, everybody's in the ministry. All of us are called to the ministry, but then we don't give them a ministry that they can be passionate about. Well, they can become passionate about a ministry that nearly destroyed their life or that was wounding their life for many years, and they began to walk in victory. They can become compassionate about They can become passionate about that ministry. They very much are. Um, very much. And so, yes, me and, and my professional staff, our, our job now is actually equipping them, providing them with resources, directing the, the traffic flow and, 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 you know, making sure that God's word is being taught through every aspect of what we're doing in these groups and in our Bible study classes and our preaching and teaching and, and all that kind of stuff. I was just in Michigan this last weekend. I'm working, uh, planning a church in Michigan uh, up there just outside of Detroit. Uh, church planter that wants to plant a hospital church. And so we had the fourth meeting Sunday. We're also planning one in Reno, Nevada. I've planted a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and one in, in, in San Antonio. Um, it's much easier to plant a church with a hospital heart than it is to turn a church toward a hospital yeah. heart. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking you had a great advantage there as the founder of the church. I did. You didn't. Yeah. You, you didn't come into an existing culture when all of a sudden you started getting honest and, mm-hmm. uh, and suddenly you've got a, a board of elders or a session or somebody panicking and thinking, well, yeah. uh, he, uh, we off, obviously have to send, uh, uh, if we don't fire James, we at least have to send him on a sabbatical. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, right? what they, what, that's exactly what happened. As a matter of fact, that I came back from the sabbatical and said, I'm yeah. done. I'm done. I'm yeah. going to go start another church and do it right this time. And yeah. because I was the founding pastor and still had seven years under me, they said, well, wait, talk about that. And they said, let's do it here. So I had a unique situation. But yeah. I do believe over the long haul, and I've had I've had a lot of experience because I go around the country uh, doing that workshop, Safe Place, Safe Process workshop, helping churches to understand how, how they can transition into a hospital church. Uh, but you do it a little bit at a time. Yeah. You, you yeah. boil the frog yeah. slowly. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, you try to boil that frog fast, everybody's going to, well, you're going to lose your job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I want to get Not to mention the-, the frog will never trust you again after it jumps out. So he did it to me once. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> what were you going to say, Nate? I, I want to get to the subject of childhood sexual abuse. Uh, Samson Society is a group for men with a high percentage of guys uh, who, who, have, who are now working through or survivors of compulsive sexual behavior. It's my story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am amazed. I happen not to have been abused, sexually abused as a child. But uh, that is not the story for an awful lot of the guys in the Samson Society. It amazes me how often I hear that story. Right, right. Uh, and you, in your traveling and speaking, I'm sure you've heard that from men. You also have been hearing it from women and from enough women that you really felt impelled and compelled mm-hmm. by the Holy Spirit to put together something that would address that right. need. Uh, I'm wondering if you have, if you're aware of any substantial differences between men and women. That's one question mm-hmm. in the way they experience and process uh, and and hopefully deal with and heal from childhood sexual abuse. That's one question. Okay. And another, uh, and another question is, I wonder if you can 
walk us through some of the typical the typical symptoms, what mm-hmm. comes from that right. experience, and uh, and where the process of healing okay. goes. Well, let me talk about the the fearless series for women because that's the the five video series that I've actually produced and, and, and it's okay. being being used in churches around the country uh, as we speak. We just went live with it last March. It was about a three year project. Uh, I had a Shannon Etheridge, Marnie Faree, a number of women, and I had three things yeah. that I wanted these women to have. First of all, they they were believers. Uh, that was not really number three, but they were survivors of sex abuse themselves. Right. They had been through the process, obviously, of help, hope, and healing, and now they were in the work some way helping other women who were survivors, mm-hmm. either as mm-hmm. a professional counselor or leading support groups or lay ministries, those kinds of things. And I knew Shannon well and knew Marnie, and uh, they put me on to some other people. And so we interviewed these 12 women and put this thing together, and it, it covers five subjects. First of all, it talks about the prevalence of sexual abuse, how mm-hmm. prevalent really is it? which is uh, shocking when people see that first 30-minute video about how prevalent it is. Um, yeah. They say, you know, maybe one in three, but we're really just touching the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. So probably close to 50% of women by the time they're 18 that are sitting in that church on Sunday morning have had experienced some form of invasive sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so then we go from that, what are the problems that present themselves, that can present themselves? Sometimes it results in... Uh, extreme sexual promiscuity. Uh, sometimes it results in depression, uh, you know, addiction to food, various kinds of things, uh, suicide, suicidality rate of uh, a woman who has been sexually abused is way higher than the just the general cultural. So all of mm-hmm. those kinds of things. And those women tell their stories. And each one of them is a little different in how they tried to medicate, uh, how mm-hmm. they dealt with, how they handled it. Then the third video is about the priority for the church, why this needs to be a priority for the body of Christ to be ministering to women. See, my church has been ministering to survivors of sexual abuse, women, for 30 years. We started mm-hmm. this way back in 92 because a woman came to our church who was in deep need. She and her husband were very devout Christians, devoted Christians. They were had done mission work. They, I mean, all this. But she'd been sexually abused three times as a child. Mm-hmm. She kept finding herself in illicit affairs as a married Christian woman. And she hated herself and she felt such shame. And when she came to us, their marriage was on its last leg. And we began to learn how to minister in this area. Now she's on my staff for the last Mm -hmm. 10 years. She's been on my staff. So we've been ministering to women who are survivors of sexual abuse for 30 years. And that's the only way that I had enough knowledge to even put something like this thing together. But I began to realize that churches around the country, many of them were beginning to deal with pornography issues for men through the Conquer right. series that I right. was one of the presenters on the Conquer series and uh, peer desire groups and various things. But as I'd go into churches, none of them were doing anything for survivors. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew that how the numbers were, what the statistics were. And yeah. so in the third video, we talk about the priority, why this is a priority for the church, how the church has failed, what the church needs to do to become a safe place where women yeah. can talk about it. And I created the Fearless Series as a tool to get the conversation started among Christian women in the church. Yeah. Uh, and then the fourth one is about prevention. How do we help our children get a, a nomenclature, get a, a, a vocabulary that they can tell if something is happening, um, various kinds of things like that. And the fifth one is what does the pathway of healing look like, how it involves community, how it involves this one another process and all that kind of thing. 
Now, as far as I understand, I've started working on the one for men. Now, um, a lot of men around the country have said, James, when are you going to do one for men? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, uh, so, you know, I just feel compelled to do that. It's going to follow those same five things because I don't believe there's a whole lot of difference in that. Trauma is okay. trauma. Yeah. Trauma is trauma. Uh, it's uh, the one difference, I believe, is as hard, as difficult it is for a woman to talk about her sexual abuse, it's probably 10 mm-hmm. times that difficult for a man. That's it. There you go. Uh, because of cultural ideas, uh, men fearing that mm-hmm. people will think, they're not, not a, uh, less than a, less of a man or, or all those kinds of lies. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not anticipating uh, that this is going to happen like a tidal wave <laughs> that men are going <laughs> to come forward. But I may be very shocked. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Women, every time that they see the Fearless series, uh, they go, we have to do this in our church. And yeah, so yeah. they are they're very nurturing women by nature. So that's happening. I, I'm praying that it's going to happen for men. Um, that way, I do know that I've had enough of them come to me and ask me when you're going to do one for men that at least they're willing to talk to me about it. Yeah. You know, I was in Michigan this weekend. Uh, I'll be in Pennsylvania in a couple of weeks. Uh, and everywhere I go and do this, they say, when are you going to do one for men? So I, I'm hoping that they'll access it when it's done. So, James, on a practical question, we've we've asked this before of guests, mm-hmm. and I'm always curious um, because conversations about pornography, just sex, sex in general has grown so right. much in 20 years. So a lot of churches are quote on board with the conversations. Uh-huh. And yet I have seen that someone suffering from abuse, whether it's past abuse or especially if it's active abuse, mm-hmm. going to the church because of a lack of any kind of education other than, yeah, we'll start a ministry for this makes it the most dangerous place that Uh, some people can go when it comes to abuse. So I'm always curious to hear what are some questions that if someone's listening to this and saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to try to get more open about this. Mm -hmm. What are some, some preparation questions to understand? Is this a safe place? Is this the right place? Is my church the right place? Is my pastor the right person? Hmm. Because the answer might be no. Well, for, for women, I would say that's probably 100% true, that the pastor is not safe because he's mm. because the pastor has a penis. Let's just call it what it is, okay, most of the time. And men don't get it. And many men are uncomfortable talking about the sexual issues with a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and many women would be embarrassed to talk to a man about it. So the first thing the church needs to do is put a woman on uh, – a woman either on staff or a prior or a uh, a prime lay woman who is the point person for women mm-hmm. to go to. Okay. Oh, wow. And, and who has been open about her own experience of sexual abuse. So they know she's a safe person. Mm-hmm. And that's why I put this woman on my staff over 10 years ago. I realized even in our church, as safe as it is, we still have to have an individual that they can start that, that conversation with. So in the area for men, I don't think that the pastor is the, is the right person. I think that ultimately what has to happen is there has to be someone who's a brave soul who has experienced yeah. some some healing in the area of man um, and will take the lead on that and become the point person. I'm your, I'm your guy. Okay. And then with wow. a, and with a tool like the Fearless Series for Men, then men can get together and they can begin in that safe, smaller context, then 
can begin to talk about this and walk through it. And then after the series is over, after the five weeks is over, I wrote a workbook for eight weeks that's after that, that only uh, survivors go into. The five weeks is for all women in the church. And the same will be true of the men. I want them to come and not have to raise their hand and say, yes, I'm sexually abused. I need help. It's, if it's all women in the church, then the survivor can come without admitting anything. Okay. That's good. And then in the small group time after that, after each that video, that's when they will start telling their story to other women in that safe environment. And so after the five weeks are over, then the women who have not had the experience of sexual abuse are going to get a world-class education about it from these women mm-hmm. as they tell their stories on the video. And they're going to become empathetic. They're going to become passionate about this issue for other women. But then the survivors actually go into the only survivor group afterwards, where we begin to deal with the issues of shame, begin to deal with the issues of things that have happened in their life, choices they've made as a result of that, that they now have to deal with the guilt and shame of that. So you've got this shame thing that just keeps going around and around. There's shame from this happened to me, and then there's shame because of what I did as a result. And it just becomes this debilitating process. So how do you stop the shame cycle? Forgiveness. It's not the first thing that we deal with in that, but eventually the abuser is going to have yeah. to be forgiven. Uh, so that's that's how that is designed. And and unless somebody stops me, uh, I'll, I'll design the one for men uh, as well. I, I'm incredibly excited about the men around the country that have already uh, volunteered to interview for this. Um, oh, good. I, and I've t- well, I've talked to you with you, Nate, and yeah. I, I put you down that you volunteered, so you okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> you're on. <laughs> okay, you can't back out now. All right, um, put me in there. Uh, Gary Ingraham. Uh, um, I actually going to be able to interview Jeremy Keaton, who's the director of counseling service for Focus on the Family. Uh, Jeremy yeah. has agreed to interview. And in fact, I'm speaking to their counselors in May out there. I'm going out to Focus and going to actually speak to all 18 of their counselors on staff. And then Jeremy is going to sit for an interview. So I'm real pumped about that. And uh, just they're just I've just been kind of gathering the names for about 10 days now. And we're, mm, we start nice. filming Friday night. This thing is just coming together so quick. So anyway, to answer your question, Aaron, um, you know, I don't know that there's a lot of difference of issues that need to be dealt with with men and women. But it definitely the issues of shame, the issues of, of uh, forgiveness, issues of anger, uh, the you know, the trauma, the things that trauma does to the back brain, even right. to understand that and understand that this is not a one and done deal. This is a long process. Right. Of, of but, healing. but you touched on a couple of things that kind of goes back to this is what makes it safe. Number one, you're making it clear that because you didn't go through that, you needed mm-hmm. to find other people as the Absolutely. pastor. You didn't have to have all the answers or right. take every need on, which that's that's an important heart issue. Sure. But then the second part, even when you were talking about the process and said forgiveness, but of course that doesn't start at the beginning. Oh my gosh. How often in church is it like, that's the first thing we need to work on forgiveness. Yeah. And you're like, I would still stab that person in the throat with a fork until they were dead. If they were sitting in front of me right now. So what what does forgiveness look like? Yeah. And just that shows that level of maturity where forgiveness looks nice on the outside, everybody forgave mm-hmm. their abusers. Yeah, 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 right, um, right. So I, th- I think you are touching on those things that people need to 
to ask questions first. What is your process? Before I say yes to your process, mm-hmm. what is your process? What, right, what right. do you want to see happen in me? Because everybody has an answer to that. Any church mm-hmm. program will have an answer to that. Right, right, right. And I think you you are talking about a very compassionate process that allows mm-hmm. for the long term. It's not a six-week yes. series, and then you're yeah. fixed, and you can go out and start serving egg salad at the next potluck. That's not right, the goal. Exactly. Well, and, and the beauty of this thing, doing it in the one another process with uh, – you know, with women with women and, and men with men, is that you're building a fraternity mm-hmm. yes. for life within the context of the body that, mm-hmm. yeah, we've been this through this together and we're still going through it together. And on Sunday morning before the worship service, we may gather off in a corner here for 10 minutes and just catch up mm-hmm. and, 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 and share. And I mean, that's the beauty of a hospital church is you're developing cores of people that really know each other. Yeah. I mean, when you've been through some of these groups over the course of years, you really know a lot of people and they really know you. Polite conversation becomes awkward in the narthex at that point. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We don't we don't have time for a whole lot of conversation. You know, we're dealing with life together. And and that's man, that changes the worship. It changes everything, changes the culture of the church where people we're doing this. We're walking through healing together. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. particularly women, I've been able to watch it with the Fearless series for women. How immediately there's this connection that women begin to get with each other, and they cry mm. with each other, and they they just love on each other. And while they're learning some biblical principles and that are very important about how they're going to heal, they're doing it together. Mm. And so, so, is this something that people could do if they're not close to a hospital church without yes. a certified yes. facilitator? How would they go right. about this? How would they get it? What would that look like? Okay. Our website is FS and then the number four. So fearless series, FS4women.com. And when women want to do this, they can email me. Uh, and uh, this is all downloaded. It's streamed from our, our website. But we are now offering some Zoom groups. I've connected with women around the country that are survivors and are uh, doing this by Zoom. So when mm-hmm. there's not a church that's available to a woman and she maybe hears this podcast and she contacts me, I can connect her with a woman, say, in Memphis, Tennessee, that will hook her up with one of the Zoom groups. Okay. So, Beautiful. you know, Zoom, Zoom is not the best, but it's better than, than starving to death out there by yourself and never getting help. And, and our hope is that if a woman can begin that process, eventually she will be able to be the spearhead in her church, maybe, to carry this to other women. You know, guys, I, I I think that the church has t- grossly failed in this area of the sexual brokenness of people, because both yeah. men and women, men with pornography, uh, women with pornography now, about thirty percent. Yeah, women yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. then, then the abuse of both men and women, and the church is virtually silent on that. Yeah, uh, yeah. we should be the tip of the spear. Mm-hmm. Jesus gets the glory when his people are doing the work, and you know, the world's beginning to talk about sexual brokenness much more openly uh, with sexual abuse of women. And yet the church is just sitting back doing nothing. And, and when I when I speak to churches and I speak to pastors, I say, you know, we need to be the church needs to be the tip of the spear on this thing. We need the place mm-hmm. be the place of help, hope and healing. So so Christ can get the glory. So the yeah, gospel yeah. can be promoted. Our greatest arm of evangelism in our church is our help, hope and healing ministry. Because 
when somebody, people will come to us who aren't looking for Jesus and they're not looking for the church. They're looking for help. And, and when we give them help and don't require anything from them, we don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be a church member. We're going to, we want to serve you in that environment. They come to know our savior. Mm-hmm. They come to know Christ. And, and that's how we evangelize. We evangelize through the cup of, you know, cold water ministry <laughs> in our church. And it's, it's a ministry of attraction, not promotion. Yeah. And that's what Alcoholics yeah. Anonymous says. Sure, Alcoholics sure. Anonymous says we are a program of attraction, not promotion. They never advertise. Their mm-hmm. advertisement is the changed lives of people that now are no longer drinking. So don't nice. get, don't well, get me too wound up. I can preach about this. Well, give us that website <laughs> one more time so that if anyone didn't write it down, they okay. can check it out. It is FS and then the number four women.com. FS for women.com. And right. uh, they can contact me or my wife by email. They can see everything. I've got a training video on there about how the, how to implement the series in a church. I've got a 30-minute training video for facilitators in case a church has never done any kinds of facilitating type groups to get the basics of what a facilitator is and what they aren't. And uh, I even volunteer to, to, to train. I, I, you know, I'll train facilitators. If a church wants to do it, I will train their first facilitators and make sure they do it right, give them our training manual, and let them figure it out after that. Uh, this is what I've devoted the rest of my life to. Well, oh, it's well then live long and prosper. <laughs> <laughs> I can't really do that. <laughs> Thank you so much. James, it's been a joy. Uh, we could talk for hours. I, 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 I see you on down the road in other episodes of the podcast, and I really look forward to participating and helping bringing uh, Fearless for Men uh, into fruition. And I love uh, your thing, the pirate monks thing. I mean, I kind of fit that mode. With you me. got it. Uh, it's a shame podcast. that this is an audio podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we can see each other here by video. And James, man, he's got the eye patch going. That's right. Uh, that's it's right. It's not just for looks. I have to have it. So <laughs> there you go. It works nice. Well, we will be right back, friends, here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. back on the pirate monk podcast james just so exciting excited <laughs> I, I, love, I love seeing a man that passionate about what he's involved in yeah wanted to talk a little bit about something you brought up that can uh, i think most of us have to work through when he was talking about needing to be in groups with other people who have suffered the same trauma and have walked through it and found yeah. healing yeah yeah like on the surface yes that's that sounds so vital. And then the other part of my brain's like, well, what if I want to get involved with something and help and reach out to people? And that wasn't my thing. Um, it actually, as as he was talking about it, it made me think of the early '90s when I was living in Los Angeles, um, right after the Rodney King riots, right when affirmative action was taken away, and yeah. there were a lot of conversations going on. And there were certain conversations that I was cut out of 
because I was white. And that, oh, really, I see. Uh-huh. that really bugged young me a lot. Like, come on, yeah, why, yeah. Can't, why can't I care? Why can't I be involved? And I think that was naive. I think even with stuff that's been going on the last couple of years with similar conversations. And for yeah, those of yeah. you that think this is all just coming up, we're doing the same thing we did in the early 90s and years before that. Yeah. Um, so talk to me a little bit about the wisdom of supporting things we haven't, but also kind of knowing where our lane is and making sure we yeah, get in those lanes. Yeah. Well, I, you know, what really uh, resonated with me as Jim spoke was uh, <clears throat> you really want to have folks in leadership and caring and nurturing roles in these groups. You, you want people to be able to go with their passion for ministry. And if, if, you know, if I've been saved from a specific thing, then I'm probably going to have a high degree of, I mean, it certainly is my case. It describes me. It's why I'm doing what I'm doing right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I also heard him say was that um, over time, the people in his church will get to know people in multiple groups. Did you hear him say that? Right. Yeah. That they'll start to develop a passion and an empathy for these different groups. And yeah, yeah. and a knowledge, not just passion and empathy, but actual insight and knowledge about things that they haven't experienced. Right, right. Which also may may speak to you know our tendency for kind of addictive drift. So you know we kind of get one behavior resolved, uh, and in the process, perhaps I uncover a tendency for control that I hadn't noticed before, and. I, I've used control as a way to cope with my behavior. So I've stopped the behavior, but now I'm going to get into a group on control. Or perhaps I have swapped one medication for another. So I'm, I, you know, I worked my way through alcohol or porn or whatever, and now I'm into food. <laughs> so, okay, okay, okay. So this is good. We're talking about in the long term, we get to experience the overlap. Where we right, go, oh, yeah. this person's thing isn't my thing, but we both have this other thing that was right. a coping mechanism. Um I think it goes back to those early steps of anybody admitting and facing their brokenness, their trauma, their sin, yeah, any of those things. And I think that's why I care so much about people not just jumping into the first thing without researching first, because even churches that put a woman over a ministry like this, she might just be parroting what the guys are saying. And then it goes back to the guys, and it's really just a sneaky way for the guys to still control everything. And what yeah. he's talking about are these people learning and getting educated and being able to own that. Yeah. Um, but the fragility of those first steps, where yeah. if you go yeah. into a place and you walk away shamed yeah, because of the churchianity, it's going to keep you from going back yeah. to find healing. And so that's why that yeah. first little incubator of healing is yeah so precious and and sacred yeah so yeah I, I love getting to hear his process and how he's thought it out and worked it out through yeah mistakes and victories and it's bearing fruit it's uh and that that in the end really is the test isn't it mm-hmm. is it bearing fruit yeah very cool I don't know how anything more we ought to cover. We got, we've got great guests coming up uh, in the weeks ahead. Um, There'll be more information coming out shortly about the international retreats coming up uh, later this year in October. Hold on. We have a, we have a special guest. We have a special guest. 
Uh oh. Uh oh. Hi, hi, Samuel. Hey, how's it going? Good. You're on the you're on the, po- you're on the podcast right now. Oh, really? Yeah. Hey, guys. Sweet, <laughs> uh, okay, so we have Nate here. Who else is with us? Oh yeah, you can't hear him. I forgot. Uh, it's it's just Nate. We're we're wrapping things oh, up, but okay. I I thought we'd let you say hi to the listeners since you've been on the show before. Oh. So. Definitely. Well, hey, hello, everyone. <laughs> and hey, Nate, I can't hear you, but it's uh, good to have a one-sided conversation with you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> good, good deal. All right. I'll call you back. Awesome. I'll talk to you in a bit. Bye. All right. That was Aaron's I, I, oldest son, Samuel. I just had All to. Right. Okay. So you were talking okay. about international trip coming up. We're also, uh, I've been uh, talking with... With our brothers in uh, the Flagstaff, Prescott, Arizona area. And we're looking okay. at trying to do All a right. small, fun thing for some New Mexicans and some Los Angeleans and get All everybody right. together in the middle. So we got a lot of All things right. coming Fantastic. up. Yeah. I, before, yeah, before we sign off, let me correct. Uh, this will be corrected in the next uh, issue of the Noble Briefing. Uh, the one that just went out had a mistake in it. It said that the international, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the the retreat in Italy next October, that we're actually doing back-to-back weekends, one for uh, that's open to anybody from anywhere and one that is just for Italian guys. Uh, we had it inverted in the Noble Briefing. We said that the first one, which is October 7 through 9, uh, about an hour from Rome would be for Italian guys, and the one the week later would be for the for guys from anywhere for the international community. That we actually had that wrong. So the one that guys who don't live in Italy and don't speak Italian can attend will be October seven through nine of next year, uh, about an hour from Rome at a beautiful retreat center there, and we'll have more details uh, in the coming weeks. It's going to be fun. And yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah. We'll talk more about that at length because there are lots of interesting options for spouses to come along, not do the retreat, but while yeah, while your fellows yeah. are at the retreat, so you can you can have that honeymoon you've been waiting for for decades. <laughs> oh boy, that sounds wonderful. Okay. Uh, by the way, uh, as always, we love to hear from listeners, and you can get us always at Pirate Monk Podcast at Gmail. So, until next week, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. We are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com.